Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you for your words. Thank you for the way uh, Simeon and Anna realised there was something special about Jesus. And so in his name we pray that you will speak to us now. Please touch uh, the different aspects of our lives to make us the generous people you want us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why do vicars preach about money? Is that a picture of some currency coming up? Yep, there is. Why do vicars preach about money? We do it quite a bit. At St John's every February, then we have a mini-series on stewardship. And this year, we're unpacking uh, two chapters of uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, chapters 8 and 9, over three weeks in February. The main reason that vicars do it today is because Jesus did it in his day. People don't always realise that actually Jesus spoke more about money than almost anything else except the kingdom of God. He spoke about money more than he did about life and death, or more than he did about sheep and shepherds, or more than he did about sex, more than he did about a whole variety of things. There are loads of examples. I just sat and wrote some of them down yesterday evening, and I came up with loads. But um, the rich fool, the widow's offering, the rich young ruler, there's just three to get us started. Of course, there are lots. And the reason he does this is not that money is somehow more important than other things. It's not. Uh, But the way we use money does reveal our priorities in our hearts. And that's what Jesus was getting at. And that's why he spoke about money so often. Jesus did that. And Paul is doing that in in our first reading today. So do turn back to page 1342. That's our our first reading, 2 Corinthians, the first 15 verses of chapter 8. Of course, um, it's important to treat finances not in isolation. Uh, We talked with the kid, didn't we, about uh, the fact that there are three ways to be generous with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure. And all three need to show Uh, that God is important in our lives and you know that uh, on occasions like this I always get out the diary and the checkbook and say there ought to be some evidence in each of these of of, uh, our Christian faith again today thinking about money it's not that the treasure matters more than the time and the talent but we're focusing on that because Paul focuses on that in this passage 2 Corinthians 8 Rather than work sequentially through it, then what I want to do is for us to think about what's really the heart, the core of this passage, and then think about the ripples of it. If that's the stone that drops in the, in the water at the middle of it, then what are the ripples? What effects does that, that have? So that's the way we're going to handle this passage. The heart of it is verse 9. I'll read it. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes 
he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. There's an old hymn, isn't there? Thou who wast rich beyond all splendour. We sometimes sing, or we don't hear, but uh, it's sometimes sung anyway, or different versions of it. But we celebrate the wonder of the incarnation at Christmas. And uh, this scene here, Mary and Joseph and the baby, the wonderful thing about he gave himself. We've sung, haven't we? Something in those last couple of songs that we've sung today, there's something of the glory, the splendor, the majesty of, of heaven. And Jesus exited all that. Of course, his existence did not begin in Bethlehem. His human existence did, yes. But Jesus is eternal. He enjoyed all those riches and splendor of heaven. And he had, if you like, an unlimited pre-existence. As, as John puts it, in the beginning was the Word, dot, 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 and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's on the posters outside church right at the moment. Um, Paul writes a bit about this in other places. One of them, we sometimes use as our affirmation of faith um, from Philippians 2, about he didn't cling to all that was his in that wonderful pre-existence. He came to us and experienced our humanity and humility. What a wonderful God we serve. That's the heart of everything I'm going to say today. Now, God gave himself to us and for us, and he calls people to respond. The response of the Macedonian Christians, as he mentions a few times in this passage today, incidentally, the Macedonians are if you like, um, places like Thessalonica, uh, so the letters to the Thessalonians, Philippi, uh, the <coughs> letters to the Philippians, those are addressed to the Macedonian Christians. And uh, look at verse 5, he describes this. This, if you like, is the first ripple that comes out from that, the generosity of God. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So the first thing they did was to put God first in their lives. That's why there's a number one there, God first. If Steve was here, well, one of the teams they play regularly against is called God First. Uh, and it's, great, it's a great name actually for a church uh, because it's something that expresses the, the, our response to the love of God. His love is unlimited until our response is to make him number one. And partly, of course, that then ripples out. They give themselves to God first, and then they give themselves to the work of the collection. The collection is being taken. Paul, Paul's taking a collection around the various churches around the Mediterranean that uh, he's been involved in planting, and he's taking that through the 50s AD, uh, and he's taking that for the benefit of the church back home, the church in Jerusalem, which is really struggling at this point. And so he's taking uh, some gifts from one set of people to another set in need. 
the essence of what Paul was teaching the Corinthians was this. God's generous, and we should be too. To the Corinthians, he's saying you should be too. God's generous, you should be too. I chose a picture of an open hand uh, for this slide because every time we clench our fists and hang on to something, then we're increasing the hold those things have on us. We're saying, oh no, this is too important to me. I'm not going to let it go. But every time we handle something with an open hand, then what we're doing is we're freeing ourselves from the pull of material things. Uh, we're able to be generous in, relate, in response to God's generosity to us. So that ripple of the open hand is important. Paul was a brave preacher, so he does something which um, most of us today don't do. Uh, in this letter, he compares a church in one place with a church in another. He compares, actually, he compares churches that were poor with a church where people were more wealthy, and uh, he's challenging the Corinthians in this. Now, I don't want to judge which churches are rich or poor and so on, but I do want to say this. By global standards, nearly everybody in the UK is rich. Most people in this country regard basic needs like health and sanitation and uh, housing and so on as normal things, things that we should, uh, should have met. And maybe we even take those sometimes for granted. Now, I don't want to compare churches X and Y. Well, I don't want to compare, you can see in the picture, <clears throat> there's something here about apples and pears. Churches are all different. So I'm not comparing, but I do want you to feel challenged by this. I do want you to feel a bit uncomfortable uh, about this, because the church in Corinth that Paul is writing to is undoubtedly uh, needing to be challenged and probably feeling very uncomfortable as he writes this. Excuse me a second. <clears throat> so a bit of discomfort is actually part of what Paul designs. Paul spells out in verses 13 that his aim is equality. Remember, he's uh, talking, taking a collection in one place for another. And he writes this, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. Paul's not saying that they should all be the same. And his thinking, of course, is not narrowly parochial. Ours shouldn't be either, of course. We think on a much wider level than that. As far as Heatherlands is concerned, then at present and in recent years, then we're 
a net recipient from the wider church because um, the parish share the money that we um, we pay uh, towards the ministry of the wider church wouldn't be enough to fund the, the two full-time clergy that you have in this parish, uh, Peter and me. It might, of course, be that that's not the case in the, in the future. It might be that when the future, this parish is a net contributor to the wider church. Don't know. But the key thing is our attitude to giving. Our, the key is willingness. So let's look at verse 11 and 12. This, if you like, is another ripple. Look at these verses. Um, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to to what one does not have. Verse 11 and 12 of our passage says that. So just as Jesus had highlighted the attitude of the heart behind the widow's offering and said she gave more in her two tiny coins than the Pharisee who put in a a whole load of cash, so Paul uh, teaches the same thing, that uh, willingness is the key. It's not the amount that's given the matters so much as the willingness, the attitude of heart that lies behind it. He also says, of course, that a willing and generous attitude of heart is often revealed by generous giving. So my last picture is this one. And it's about the grace of giving. Look at the end of verse 7. Paul writes, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul writes straight afterwards in verse 8, he writes, I'm not commanding you because there's no hint of coercion in what he says. But he does want to challenge his readers. He wants to challenge those first ones in Corinth in the first century. And he wants to challenge us today in the 21st century as we look at this letter God calls all of us to be generous with our time with our talent with our treasure if you look again at this picture then the, uh, the small print that's there um, well first of all I, I chose this picture I suppose because of the open hands it's not a coincidence that that matches uh, what to the open hands that we had earlier on. The, <clears throat> but the verse here, in quite small print, I don't know if you can read that, um, it, uh, this quote it mentions it from 1 Corinthians, but it could equally be from 2 Corinthians, because Paul uses the same phrase in both of his letters to the church in Corinth. Paul uses that same word, charis, and that's the word that we translate sometimes as grace. It's also the, the root of words like charismatic and things like that. So when we use those words in a Christian context, they're coming from the same root, charis, grace gifts, if you like. The same word, charis, is used 
both for the grace of God and for the grace of giving by those who follow him. The latter should be a response to the former. So our giving should be a response to God's giving of himself. With that in mind, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, your giving is unlimited. Thank you that you gave Jesus for us. We've sung about that, and it's, it's so amazing. In royal robes, we don't deserve, etc. Father, we're sorry that uh, for the times when we've been, we've clenched our fists and tried to hang on to things rather than letting go and be generous and responding uh, in like fashion to your nature. We pray, please, that you will help us with the grace of giving in the different ways that you call us to in time and talent and treasure and so on. We pray that you will work in us and through us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask you please to stand?